Well, shall we pray after hearing those words from our Lord? Our gracious God and Father, we just do come before you now. We ask that you will continue to encourage us through your Holy Spirit that as we think about this passage from the Apostle Paul this morning, we ask that you'll indeed encourage our hearts. And we pray that this prayer may be very appropriate for us and that you will fulfil it within us through your great and divine and powerful Holy Spirit. And we ask this in the Son's name. Amen. Well, in our passage this morning from Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's desire is that as Christians and as the church, I'll just pop that down, and as the church, that we be strengthened and empowered in the very core of our being by the Holy Spirit in order that we would become more like Christ and be strengthened by the wonder and magnitude of the love of Christ and be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the content of Paul's prayer here as from prison in Rome he prays for the church in the city of Ephesus. And he, as he does so, notice how he shares with them and, and with us the content of his prayer. Paul says, this is my prayer for you, for you individually and for you as God's church in Ephesus. Look with me at verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that Paul prays and he says he prays for this reason. And that little phrase, this reason, seems to refer back to all that Paul has said so far in his letter. That God has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in Christ. That God has made them alive with Christ and seated them in the heavenly realms that God has now made known to them the great truth that the redeeming work of Christ is for everyone. doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. That God has established his church by bringing both Jew and Gentile together into one new humanity, the church. That they have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is displayed before angelic beings in the heavenly realms. And as Paul reflects on all these things that he has written so far in his letter, it triggers Paul to come before God in prayer for these Ephesian believers and look to who Paul is conscious of praying to. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Paul kneels in humble reverence to our loving Heavenly Father. I mean, do you realise how stunning it is to call the almighty and ever-living God, the creator and sustainer of the whole universe, Father? In fact, it gets a little bit more personal and intimate when you think of that word that Jesus used. He said we could address God as Abba. Abba meaning dad. 
but meaning it in an affectionate and yet respectful way. No human religion or even the Jewish religious uh, leaders back then ever dared to call God Dad. And it's important to understand not so much how we pray but to who we pray. When Jesus gave his disciples that pattern for prayer in Matthew chapter 6, he started off by saying, Our Father in heaven. And as God's adopted children, we have this unbelievable privilege of coming before our all-powerful God and addressing him as our Father in the name of the Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit. As Paul has already reminded us back in uh, verse 12 of this chapter that we can approach God with freedom and confidence. Our Father. And in verse 16, notice how Paul prays to the Father of glorious riches. He says there, I pray that out of his glorious riches, now, some translations, like the NAV we read from today, translate this is, as being out of his riches. But when you look at the Greek text and you look back at the older translations, it's more literally according to his riches. And there is a difference, isn't there? I mean, if there was uh, a millionaire in church this morning and he says, I'm going to give you a gift, would you prefer that that gift be out of his riches or according to his riches? There is a difference. Out of could mean that he gives us a, a, a gift of any sum. could be 50 cents or a dollar. But were he to give us a gift that was according to his millions, well, that may very well blow our minds away, yeah? You see, it's not so much... God's resources, but rather God's attitude that is in view here. Yeah? If I think that God can give me a lot because God has a lot to give, then I think I miss the point. I miss the point in the fact that, you see, God gives without limit because his resources are without limit. But we're not praying to someone who is hard up or someone who is, you know, going through some really difficult times and struggling. No, God can answer our prayers easily and overwhelmingly. Notice how Paul says in verse 20 that God is able to do immeasurably or infinitely more than all we ask or imagine. And it is to this Father that Paul prays, to the one who is glorious in riches. And as he does that, please notice the attitude he adopts as he prays. In verse 14, Paul says, I bow my knees, or I kneel, before the Father. Now, kneeling was not the normal Jewish posture for prayer. As you read through the New Testament and other religious books, I suppose, you find that they normally prayed standing up. That was their normal posture for prayer. They would only kneel in prayer in an attitude of humble submission or maybe in moments of emotional intensity. 
like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Luke tells us in his Gospel that Jesus knelt down and prayed. And Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed. There is no correct posture for Christian prayer. But that doesn't mean that posture is not important. Here I think Paul senses uh, his own sin and unworthiness and he senses the Father's glorious riches and greatness and that brings him to his knees. I wonder if your posture reflects your attitude when you pray. Interesting thought. Do you pray reclining in bed or slouched in a chair? I'm not saying those are wrong. But there is a sense that, yes, we should be comfortable and relaxed as we come before God. But are there times when we should be down on our knees or even flat on our faces or perhaps standing up on our feet, yes, with our arms raised high in the air as we praise and glorify our gracious God and we receive his gifts? I wonder if, like Paul, our times of Prayer are shaped by our understanding of our relationship with God. Praying springs out of our understanding of God, doesn't it? And Paul is brought to prayer for the Ephesian church. And what is it that he prays for? Well, in response to the rich truths of the gospel, Paul prays that these Christians may experience the spiritual fullness of God that God really wants for them. Paul prays, verse 19, that you may be filled filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And the fullness of God here seems to mean the completeness of all that God is, all his power, his glory, his riches, his wisdom, his love, his goodness, his perfection. God lacks nothing. He is perfect and holy and we are to be filled, transformed to be like him. Our lifelessness should be turned into vitality, our emptiness into abundance, our lethargy into a vibrancy, our spiritual poverty turned into having his riches lavished upon us. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of of God. Now Christians have already been brought from death to life but Paul prays for more still to be accomplished, doesn't he? For them to be fully the people of God and the church. The church that God has called to uh, himself. The church that God has called them to be. What is it going to take for these Christians to become spiritual powerhouses? Well, Paul identifies two things to pray for. The first is in verses 16 and 17, and that is for God to transform our hearts into the home of Christ. Verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now let's just unpack that a little. 
Paul prays that God the Father will strengthen them with his power, that God will powerfully and radically strengthen the new life that he has given his beloved and redeemed people. And how will God do this? Through his spirit. He will do it through the Holy Spirit and in your inner being. It's the Holy Spirit who begins God's work within us and who brings the power of God into our very lives. He works with such energy and strength to bring lasting change within us. And the Spirit does this in our inner being. In other words, deep within us, within our hearts. Notice how this change is needed not just to be something superficial. Yeah? Paul doesn't pray that God, please put a smile on your face. No, it is a deep change, deeper than anything we could ever achieve by ourselves. And it takes the work of the Holy Spirit within us. It's only something that God can do. The Holy Spirit transforms our inner longings and our inner secret thoughts. Or to put it another way, as Paul does in verse 17, this is a prayer that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now those two things go hand in hand. The powerful work of the spirit that's in our innermost being and the increased dwelling of Christ in our hearts through faith. They both go together. The inner man or inner being spoken of in verse 16 and our hearts in verse 17 are the same thing and they are the opposite to our outer being, yeah? They are the part of us that other people don't see. It's a part of us that I don't see when I look at you, you don't see when you look at me and it is what happens there in our inner being that matters most. And for God to dwell in your hearts, to, well, that takes great power, doesn't it? The power of the cross to take away sin and to forgive you. The word dwell means to abide there permanently. Paul is praying that their hearts will become the complete permanent possession of Jesus Christ and not simply something that's you know, on a timeshare basis. And the Holy Spirit turns our pride to humility. He changes our selfishness to love and he takes away our rebellion and he gives us peace. And as he does that, bit by bit, our hearts are becoming more and more like Christ. We are being remade, if you like, into the image of Christ. And as the Spirit changes us, he gives us the desire and the interest to read God's word. And he teaches us to love what is right, he guides our lives and directs our thoughts, he gives us joy in knowing him, and a longing to know him more. If we want to be filled with all the fullness of God, then on the basis of what Christ has done for us, 
we need to kneel before God the Father and to ask him to powerfully change us individually and as his church and to change us from within. And like Paul, we need to be praying for this for our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Yeah? The second thing Paul prays for is found in verse 17 to 19 that God will give us a greater realisation of the love of Christ. Look at verse 17, or halfway through. Paul says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That phrase at the end of verse 17, being rooted and established in love, seems to be the result of that first part of Paul's prayer, doesn't it? When God works to change our lives, we become more spiritually rooted in Christ's love. We become more established in Christ's love, like a plant that has taken root in solid ground or like a building that's established on a firm foundation. Spiritually then we become strong as Christ dwells in our hearts. It's one thing to be growing in Christ's love but it's another thing to grasp the scale and the magnitude or the vast dimensions of the love that Jesus has for his people. A love that Paul says is really beyond our human understanding. Yeah, it far surpasses knowledge. Paul prays that God's loved and redeemed people may have the power from God to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. Wide enough to encompass every nation and ethnicity long enough to stretch back before the world began and to go on and on into the future and into all eternity deep enough to reach the worst of sinners and yet high enough to lift us to heaven and so much more or perhaps Paul had the image of the cross in his mind as he wrote this you know, those arms stretched out to embrace the whole human race. Or indeed, maybe he thought of the upright part of the cross, you know, that lifts everything up. It sort of reaches from earth to heaven. And he prays that God will enable you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And why? So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's a love that goes way beyond the limits of human knowledge. I mean, why should God love me? Ever ask yourself that question? Why should God love me? How can a God bring himself to love someone like me and then live in me and to pour his fullness into me? Like we've sung this morning, that is amazing love, isn't it? 
and it's an amazing grace. And as I grasp it, then I am known and loved by God to the extent that he forgives my sin at the cost of his son's life. As I grasp it, I become rooted and grounded in that love, able to withstand all the ups and downs that life throws at us in this world and all the spiritual attacks that we might face and stand firm and strong in faith, being convinced, like Paul says in Romans 8, that nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that solid truth enters our hearts so that there is no place we would rather be than in this love. This love that Paul says surpasses knowledge. And yet he teaches us to pray that we might have the power to grasp it and to grasp its vast dimensions. Paul mentions in verse 18 that this is something for all the saints, meaning for all of God's people. All of God's people are to seek from God a greater understanding of the love of Christ. This love that according to the Apostle John, God has lavished upon us. And that leads him to the end of verse 19 that I said before was maybe the goal of Paul's prayer. That on the basis of all that God has done for us in and through his son Jesus, Paul prays that God would transform our hearts into the home of Christ and furthermore that God would give us more wisdom in understanding the utter magnitude of the love of Christ so that we might be filled to the measure of of all the fullness of God. <coughs> wow. Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We've got a great God, haven't we? Great God who wants us to know him, to know his son Jesus, who has come to dwell within us who is changing our hearts more and more to be more like Christ as his children. And he wants us to know him and to be able to know the fullness of God dwelling within us. But as we look more closely at the prayer of Paul, then maybe we gain a greater understanding of the love of Christ, yes. We recognise that there is a bigger goal than ourselves and our spiritual welfare. It's then that we realise the huge vastness of Christ's love for us. And when we think about all of us, it dawns on us that this is not about us, but about God. For everything here is the work of God, isn't it? It's the work of God through his Holy Spirit and it is a, a gift from God. And so in response to this and in response to all that Paul has said in his letter so far, Paul ends his prayer here with another outburst of praise. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or think, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus 
throughout all generations forever and ever. And verse 20 is so important because it confirms that all of what Paul has just prayed for is doable, yeah? It's doable. It can become a reality because the one who Paul prayed to and the one to whom we still pray is the one who is able to do immeasurably or more literally super abundantly more than all we ask or even imagine. And I don't know about you, but I can tell you I have a good imagination. Christ is able, or God is able to do more than we ask or imagine. I mean, like, wow. Now, that shouldn't really surprise us, as Paul says this. I mean, Paul has already told us about this superabundant power of God, yeah? Remember, he told us that when we were dead in our transgressions and sin, God has made us alive with Christ. He told us that when we were alienated and strangers, God reconciled us to himself and to one another and he has made us citizens of heaven. God has brought into being this new entity, the church. Indeed, God is able to do unbelievably more than all we could ask or think or imagine. And according to the end of verse 20, it's all according to his power that is at work within us. God's Holy Spirit working within us. That's what Paul has been praying for, that through the power of Christ, our hearts will become Christ's home, that we will be able to gain this greater, more in-depth sort of understanding of the love that God has for us and the love that he shows to us through his son Jesus Christ. That immense power is at work within us to change us and use us for his glory. That immense power is at work within us, accomplishing God's good and pleasing and perfect will and purpose in us and through us. So Paul says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. That's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of God's people, individually and corporately together as his church. Paul's desire is that as the church, we might be empowered in the very core of our innermost being by the Spirit in order that we will become more like Christ, strengthened by the wonder and magnitude of his love for us and filled with all the fullness of God and having the desire to glorify God and echoing the praise of God that we see here in these verses. In the words of that great hymn, to God be the glory, great things he has done. For as Paul declares here, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, for us and for our children and those to come throughout all generations forever and ever.
Amen. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and Father, we just thank you. We thank you for that love you've shown to us in Christ. And we are indeed recipients of your grace, your mercy, those things which we do not deserve. And it's all because of your love for us that love you've shown to us through Christ. And we do pray, as Paul has prayed, that you will, through your spirit, indeed grant us day by day a greater understanding of that love. Father, we pray too as your church, we will be encouraged from deep within us, in our hearts, and through each other to glorify you and to be used by you for your praise and your glory and indeed in sharing with others the extent of Christ's love for them, that love that saw him go to the cross in order to redeem them, to save them, to be able to forgive them and receive them back into this personal and intimate relationship with you. Father, help us through our day-to-day lives to live as your people, to live as your church. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.